beloved, we are here. Um, it's a great joy to gather together today on this first Resurrection Sunday in the history of our church. Um, I invite you to open up your Bible with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. I know it's not one of the gospel passages, but this actually happens to be my favorite resurrection passage. And I hope you'll understand why by the time we're done with it today. Um, we have not come for a funeral. We have not come today to memorialize anyone. Jesus of Nazareth has been raised. The Son of the living God has been raised. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Right? We believe in a risen Christ. Not one whose corpse has decomposed in any way. That's a fulfillment of Psalm 16, by the way. Um, if you are a Christian along with me today, it's because you believe, as I do, that the resurrection is a real event in history. It's not something that was spiritualized. It's not something that's just an old fable. It's not an old wives' tale. That's not an offense to old wives. Uh, that's just the same. But... The resurrection is as real as me standing here before you. In fact, maybe even more real. It provides to us abundant life right now. It, it, it provides to us the reality that the Holy Spirit is in us because the Son of the living God rose from the grave and sent Him to us. We have eternal life right now. And of course, we are the exception. We are not the rule. The vast majority of people in the world today, the vast majority of people in America today, maybe, maybe even the vast majority of people meeting in religious gatherings today do not worship Jesus. At least not in spirit and in truth. Not in the heart. And if that's the case, and maybe, uh, God forbid, it's the case for anyone here today, but you never know with, with a gathering this size or really any size, that means that if you don't believe in Christ from the heart, then you are still dead in your trespasses and sins according to Ephesians chapter 2. God has not yet made you alive so as to trust in Christ. And the primary reason people don't entrust themselves to Christ is because really we would rather trust in ourselves. People would rather prefer their sin. They would prefer their pride, their, their own way, rather than the narrow way that is repentance with humility. And one of the biggest reasons unbelievers give for why they don't and won't entrust their lives to Jesus Christ is because they don't believe in resurrection. And it's not just that they don't believe in Jesus' resurrection, but they don't believe in the idea of resurrection at all. This isn't a new thing. The Sadducees of Jesus' day were the same way. The idea anyone could be dead and come back to life is an absurdity to most people. There's no way it could be true. And that being the case, since resurrection is a fundamental tenet of true faith, there's no way they would want to be a Christian. Perhaps even some of you have trouble reconciling the validity of the resurrection. People find it unbelievable. So they don't believe. And not just today, again, 2,000 years ago as well. Just two decades after Jesus was crucified and supposedly rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, the Apostle Paul encountered doubt in the validity of the resurrection, even with the gathered church. 
among those who profess to be Christians. And so he wrote about it here in 1 Corinthians 15. If it's impossible to die and be made alive again, I want you to think this morning, what would that mean for us? What would that mean for Christianity? Is resurrection really a a hill that we have to die on? Something that is non-negotiable? Or can we discard a literal, physical, bodily resurrection and still be Christians? Still be saved? This morning, I want to look at that from the Word of God. What would we lose if those Corinthian doubts were true? What would we lose if modern skepticism is true? What would we lose if we don't believe in it, don't walk in the truth? What would we lose if Jesus hasn't been raised? I'm going to focus this morning on verses 12 through 22, but for the sake of context, I want to read beginning in verse 1. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God with me. Rather than it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday knowing that in reality every day is Resurrection Sunday. Because every day we are able to walk in the newness of life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where He defeated sin and defeated death and 
defeated Satan. And Lord, our victory is assured in Christ. Our resurrection is assured in Christ. Our eternal life is assured in Christ. And so as we look into what we would lose if that wasn't true today, I pray you might use your word, the Scriptures, to... Lord, I pray you'll bring it to bear on the hearts of your people. I pray you will make dead sinners alive. I pray, Father, that you will help us by your grace to grow in your grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So the question is, what would we lose if there was no resurrection? What would we lose if Jesus has not been raised? What would it be like if dying and being brought back to life was just a literary device? A story, a fable, a parable? The figment of someone's imagination? What would we lose if people just died and that was it? This week, the, the Pope, you may have seen this on Facebook or some other, the Pope is reported to have in some interview declared that hell does not exist. That people who don't find themselves in the in the grace of the, the Roman Catholic Church, they just they, their souls just kind of go away. Now they kind of backtrack that afterward. They usually do that after the Pope says something controversial. There's later a another statement that comes out later and says, ah, that's not what he really said. That's how most people believe. This is what celebrated minds of our time have believed also. A few weeks ago, Stephen Hawking died. This is what he believed. One of the most famous atheists in the world today, Richard Dawkins, this is what he believes. This text, though, is the answer to those questions. Paul lays out seven things I want to talk to you about this morning. Paul lays out seven things that you and I would lose if Jesus has not been raised. And first, and the obvious one, if there is no resurrection, we would lose the pinnacle event of all of human history because Jesus has not been raised. There were some in the Corinthian church who had trouble believing that a man could really rise from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that the message of the gospel is foolishness and a stumbling block and the resurrection was a big part of that. People had a hard time fathoming the fact that a man much less someone who was supposedly sent from God who could, could be killed on a cross, that's, that's bad enough, but then you want me to believe He rose from the dead after being killed the way you say He was killed? This was a, a big stumbling block, and it's still a big stumbling block today. So how did they justify being part of the church? If these Corinthian doubters uh, were professing Jesus but doubting this, how were they really justifying being part of the church? And that's a good question. You know, it's possible that they claimed Jesus wasn't really a man. You know, that, that was a common heresy of the late first century, a common heresy going into the, the, the second century as well, where the idea that Jesus appeared as a man, but he really wasn't flesh and blood. And, and maybe that's what they thought in Corinth. You see this if you make the mistake of watching one of those documentaries on the uh, Discovery Channel around this time of year, or A&E, or the History Channel or National Geographic, you'll see these scholars. Some of them will be from religious universities, but they'll always talk about the search for the historical Jesus. And it's always a search. 
that ends up in, in trying to naturalize the supernatural. Trying to say the resurrection wasn't really the resurrection. Here's what we all need to know though, beloved. Whether it's the Corinthians or us Carolinians, whether it's scholars, skeptics, or searchers, and us, if you don't believe Jesus is both fully God and fully man, you are against the Word of God and don't believe in Jesus as He has revealed Himself. If you don't believe in both the full deity and the full humanity in the one person, Jesus Christ, you are against the Word of God and thus against God. The Gospel, what we believe to be saved, is predicated on the fact man has fallen out of relationship with God through the first man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. And being spiritually dead, we could not and we cannot do anything to right that relationship in and of ourselves. Pastor Scott, a couple of weeks ago, talked about sin and the human heart and from Jeremiah 17 showed us that the heart is desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. So there's nothing we could do even if we thought we wanted to. So God the Father, knowing that, sent God the Son into the world. Jesus became a man. Now He he existed before the foundation of the world. All things came into being through Him. But He added humanity to His deity. As 1 Timothy 1.15 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. The man who, who is God. And Jesus proved He is God over three years of ministry by which He, he did works and, and miracles and proved He is God. And He also proved He's just as human as you and I. Even after His resurrection... Jesus appeared to people. Hundreds. We read about that a second ago. He appeared to hundreds of people in the flesh. Sometimes hundreds of people at once. He did things humans do after His resurrection. He ate food in Luke 24 and in John chapter 21, just like we do. Peter, who followed Jesus closely for years, preached on Pentecost in Acts 2. That, and he made it clear that Jesus was a man who was delivered over to be crucified. John saw His flesh ripped apart at the cross. So if Jesus became fully human and died and there is no resurrection, if Jesus has not been raised, we lose our living Savior. We lose our living Savior. And not only that. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus has not been raised, then we lose any meaning in the preaching of the Gospel. If there's no resurrection, then the preaching is meaningless. Paul says, our preaching is in vain. You see, in verses 3 and 4, Paul expressed the death and resurrection of Jesus as the heart of the gospel. The heart of the good news about Jesus. He said, actually, if you look back at verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that He was buried, and that He has been raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Beloved, apart from the resurrection, Jesus would not have conquered death. You realize that? And if Jesus has not conquered death, 
Death is the penalty for what? Death is the penalty for sin. So Jesus has not conquered sin. And He hasn't conquered Satan as well. So Satan wins, sin wins. Without resurrection, Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 are not true. Jesus would have died but would not have rendered powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and thus freed those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. If there's no resurrection. Apart from resurrection, sin and death and hell would forever be man's conquerors. And the good news about Jesus would actually be bad news and there would be nothing worth preaching. This would all be an abject absurdity. absurdity. The preaching would be meaningless. Third thing. If Jesus has not been raised, then we lose the faith. We lose the faith. Faith in Christ would be in vain. It would be worthless. Your faith is also in vain, Paul wrote. Your faith, your faith is vain. It's empty. It's void of effect. It's to no purpose, no end, because a dead Savior can't give life. If Jesus did not rise, if the dead did not rise, then Jesus did not rise, we will not rise. And this is all there is. So you might as well live your best life now because this is all, because this is all there is. And if that's the case, faith is worthless. If that's the case, Hebrews 11 is not the hall of fame of the faithful, as it's sometimes called. It's the history of stupidity. Because there's a long list of people there who had faith. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, and on and on. The writer of Hebrews 11 doesn't even mention all of them. He says he could go on and on. But they were believing the promises. But if Christ was not raised, then for what were they faithful? Nothing. If there's no resurrection... Faith in Jesus is is worthless. We lose all meaning for our faith. So why bother believing in Jesus at all? Fourth, if Jesus has not been raised, then we lose the validity of all of the witnesses and preachers of the resurrection. Look again at verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God Because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So what's Paul saying there? He's saying that every apostle, everyone who followed Jesus, everyone who ever testified to, or wrote about, or preached about the resurrection, if Jesus has not been raised, they are all liars. Beloved, to deny the resurrection is to say the apostles did not simply make a mistake, but that they willfully proclaimed something they knew wasn't true. And they would be liars engaged in the biggest, most consistent, most widespread, longest-lasting conspiracy of all time. A conspiracy, by the way, that none of them recanted of, none of them confessed to, even as they faced horrific deaths. Now let's think about that. I mean, think about that. Stephen 
was not an apostle, but he was a member of the Jerusalem church. He was close to the apostles. He was stoned to death at the end of Acts 7. The apostle Paul was there. He was holding the coats of those throwing the stones. Uh, The apostle James in, in Acts 12, the brother of John, was murdered. Church history says all of the apostles, except for John, were killed in brutal ways for the sake of the gospel. So let me ask you this. What is easier to believe? That Jesus rose from the grave? Or that every single one of these men devoted their lives to Jesus, then suffered beheadings, crucifixions, being burned to death, being put in hot oil, stoned, beaten, flayed, and I could go on and on and on for a lie? Peter is a liar. John is a liar. Paul is a liar. And down through history, Irenaeus, Polycarp, if you know your church history, John Wycliffe, Jan Hus, William Tyndale, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Bunyan, John Knox, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, most recently passed away, John MacArthur, still alive, many others still alive. They would all be liars. And by the way, so would Scott McGinnis and Matt Privet. But that's not even the worst part. Because fifth, if Jesus has not been raised, we lose life. If Jesus has not been raised, we lose life. If there's no resurrection, then all men, all women, all children everywhere are still dead in their sins. Look at 16 and 17 again. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. And later in in, in Ephesians, again, as I quoted earlier, that means you are dead in your sins. Dead. If Jesus has not been raised, there's no spiritual difference between those who believe in Jesus and those who deny Him outright. Christians, whatever that word would mean, then, would remain dead in their trespasses and sins. Helpless. Hopeless. Ungodly, Romans 5 says. Even enemies of God. If there's no resurrection, that means when Jesus died on the cross... Sin won the victory over Christ and continues to reign victorious over you and over me. If Jesus remained dead, it means we too will die and remain dead. If Christ is not raised, His death was in vain because the one who came to bear the full fury of God's wrath against sin remains guilty of that penalty of sin. God wasn't satisfied by His sacrifice, apparently. So our sins are still counted against us. And that means that the impassable gulf that the cross bridges does not exist. That impassable gulf between God and man, between holiness and unholiness, righteousness and unrighteousness, perfection and sin, it remains unbridged and will not be bridged if Jesus has not been raised. There is no bridge to cross that great divide. We lose life. So then sixth, 
If Jesus has not been raised, then everyone who believed in Jesus who has physically died, they've also eternally perished. Think about that. Look at verse 18 again. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Falling asleep is a common way of talking about physical death in the Bible. Okay? In fact, earlier in, in, in this very chapter, some had fallen asleep. Some of those 500 who'd seen Jesus had fallen asleep. They had died, but some remained. The point here is that if there's no resurrection, that means every Old Testament saint, every Christian ever, has not received the promise of paradise, which, by the way, makes Jesus a liar to the thief on the cross. There's no hope of heaven. They are not in the presence of God. They are being judged eternally for their sins. Those who have passed away before have eternally perished. Paul is dead forever. John is dead forever. Augustine is dead forever. Billy Graham is dead forever. My grandparents who believed are are dead forever. And I don't bring that up to infer that belief in the resurrection is some sentimental thing. Okay? Something we hope is true because we hope for the best for those we love. Of course we hope for the best for those we love. But on the contrary, that's just the necessary result if there is no resurrection. Everyone's dead forever and being judged for their sins if Jesus has not been raised. And then seventh. If Jesus has not been raised, then Christians are the most pitiable people on the face of the earth. We are the most pathetic group of people in the world if Jesus has not been raised. Look at verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. When you think through the other consequences for us, if there is no resurrection, this one seems pretty obvious. We'd be a pretty pathetic bunch, most of all to be pitied. Without the resurrection, we have no Savior, no forgiveness, no gospel, no faith of any meaning, no life, and furthermore, no hope for any of those things ever changing. If Jesus has not been raised, then we teach, preach, suffer, sacrifice, and work for absolutely nothing. This is what the world is really like for those who don't believe in a resurrection. This is what the world would be like if there was no resurrection. All of this is a sick, twisted joke with a very bad ending. We won't live and be with Christ forever in a new heaven and new earth, but instead we'll be judged for our sins eternally in the lake of fire if Jesus has not been raised. I hope you understand why the resurrection is an important doctrine. Yeah, I use the dirty word, doctrine. We must understand it. We must understand why it's important. I fear too many have gone to church and worshipped Christ this morning, but still don't really grasp why it's important. All this is true if there is no resurrection. But, and I do love a good conjunction in Scripture, but now Christ 
has been raised from the dead. Verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Beloved, here's the good news. You and I do not have to worry about any of those ifs. If this, if that, it doesn't matter because there has been a resurrection. Christ has been raised from the dead. So praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. And praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Luke 24, 1-7 But on the first day of the week, at the early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they, <coughs> they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but He has risen. Remember how He spoke to you while He was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been fulfilled. And that guarantees that anyone here and anyone everywhere who entrusts themselves to Jesus Christ, while they might physically die, their spirit will not And then there will come a day when just as Jesus was raised bodily from the grave, so too will we be raised bodily from the grave. So we praise God this morning for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have no reason to doubt it. Do not be like those later in Luke 24 who doubted. And in the words of Jesus, they were foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Do not be a fool, beloved but entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in His resurrection and live in light of that reality. Romans 6, 4 says that if you trust in Christ, you have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so you too might walk in the newness of life. Christ's resurrection is a past event and our resurrection is a future event. But in the present, God calls on those who believe in His Son to live in light of what is real. And the resurrection is real. We are to live as those who know they will be raised. Because guess what? If you're in Jesus Christ this morning, you have been raised spiritually. You have been raised. And you will be raised. Verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. God has promised to, to raise all who believe in Him. Jesus was the first of those who have been risen in this manner. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of the harvest to come. His resurrection is inextricably linked to our own resurrection. By the way, let me back up like half a step I said His is the first resurrection of its kind. That's because He didn't die again. Lazarus, He died again. Okay? Jesus didn't, and neither will we. When we're raised, we won't die again. 
God raised Christ first, but there's coming a day when He will harvest the rest of His crops. And that's all who have ever believed. So what is holding us back? What is holding you back from giving your whole self to Jesus this morning? What is holding you back from living as if the resurrection is a, Christ, is, is a fact? If Christ the Lord is risen today, then the song of our lives, not just our mouths, must be Alleluia. We must live like Christ today. For all who trust in Him will be raised just as He has been. We need not worry about what the world would look like without the resurrection. The resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the guarantee that we will be saved. That we have been saved. For since a man, verse 21, For since a man, by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. The question for each and every one of us is this. Do you find yourself in Adam? Or do you find yourself in Christ? There are really people... We live in such an age of division. Rich, poor, black, white, brown... American, un-American, non-American. There's really only two kinds of people in the world. You're either in Adam or in Christ. You're either of your Father who is in heaven or of your Father the devil. That's Jesus' words. That's not mine. We are all physical descendants of the first man and because He sinned, Sin and death entered the world and we inherit that sinful nature. Thus, what happened to Him will also happen to us. He died, we die, and Adam all die. You will die for eternity unless you are in someone else. And that is Jesus Christ. In Adam came death, in Christ comes resurrection from death. In Adam, sin and death entered the world, but in Christ, sin and death are dealt with at the cross. And the empty tomb is the stamp of the Father saying, it is finished. What my son said on Friday is true. Everyone who is in Adam will die. Everyone who is in Christ will be made alive. The power of the latter has been broken by the power of the former. Or, reverse that. The power of the latter Jesus has broken the power of the former Adam. The power of Christ has broken the power of sin that lies in Adam. So, let me quote one of my favorites, John MacArthur. Just as Adam was the progenitor of everyone who dies, so Christ is the progenitor of everyone who will be raised to life. In each case, one man doing one act caused the consequences of that act to be applied to every other person identified with him. Those who are identified with Adam, every person who has been born is subject to death because of Adam's sinful act. Likewise, those who are identified with Christ, every person who has been born again in Him is subject to resurrection to eternal life because of Christ's righteous act. Who do you identify with this morning, beloved? You can remain in Adam, you can remain in your sin, and you can participate in the consequences of that. That's the easy thing to do. That's what Adam did. He did repent, I believe, but 
sin entered the world, and you can keep with that. You can ignore the authority of God. You can ignore the lordship of Christ. You can ignore His commands. You can be in Adam, or you can be in Christ. And that doesn't happen by coming to church, by the way. It doesn't happen by being baptized or being a good person. It doesn't happen even by taking the Lord's Supper, as we're going to do in a few minutes. You aren't in Christ based on anything in you. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said that in John 3, 3. By the grace of God, His Holy Spirit makes you alive. You are a sinner. You see that you're a sinner. You can't help but repent in humility. And God gives you the gift of faith and you rest in the only one who is righteous, the only one by whom you can stand before God, and that is the risen Christ. And God saves you. You trust in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Nothing more than that is Jesus plus nothing. It's the risen Christ plus nothing. So, beloved, if you came here today, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. But if you came today, and even if you're watching out in Facebook land, okay, if this morning you're living like there's no resurrection, and you know within yourself that that's the case, then I invite you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus before you do die in Adam. Because then it will be too late. As Paul later says in this chapter, verse 34, Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have the knowledge, no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Become sober-minded. That means get serious about the things of God. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. One of the great graces of the Christian life is that when the Holy Spirit enters us, when God makes us alive, when God raises us from the spiritual death that we're all born into, we don't have to sin anymore. Sin loses its power over us. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. I'm sure I've sinned this morning. But I don't have to. I can walk in the newness of life. And I invite you to join me today. I invite you to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. And I invite you to make that public if you haven't ever done that. We don't ever want to live in a world in which Jesus has not been raised. We lose everything. Thank God we don't have to. Thank God we don't have to. Without the risen Christ, we have nothing. Because of the risen Christ, all who believe will be given everything. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, live as though He is alive. Because He is. To God be the glory. May we all walk in the newness of life. And may every day for us be a resurrection day. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We come to You in humility. I know, Lord, just even preaching this, I'm reminded of how far short I fall of the glory of God. How unworthy I am to come to You. 
And so you sent your Son to be our perfect righteousness. Father, I pray that the hearts of those here, everyone who hears, may everyone who has ears to hear, hear. Father, I pray that your truth will impact your people. Draw sinners unto yourself. And may we who make up a wake church be those who walk in the life of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.